Welcome to the second season of Influence Me, a podcast series where I discuss matters of leadership with a wide range of guests. I'm Assistant Commissioner Andrew Short. For me, this podcast series is all about supporting leaders, both experienced and emerging, through the many challenges that will come on their leadership journey. It is my view that leadership is all about influence, and I look forward to interviewing more guests for the purpose of increasing knowledge and understanding of leadership. As the title of this podcast suggests, I want to be influenced. Today it's a pleasure to have with me Doug Bites, who I will say is a friend and a colleague uh, over many years. Doug uh, had 16 years service with Fire and Rescue and some people who listen to this would know Doug. He then moved into a second phase of his professional life and, and, and family life in that he went to a state in Micronesia, an island by the name of Kojirai, and from the ground up built a resort. And there's not too many people who can say that they've done something like that in their life. So if you want to Google Kojirai, you'll, you'll actually find out a little bit more about that island within that Federated States of Micronesia. The third phase of his life has seen him reinvent himself. And that's a word that Sally, his wife, does use, where he's changed tact and gone into areas of becoming a marriage celebrant and also becoming a life coach. So for me, having this discussion with Doug today is all about allowing him to have a think about his life and his life journey, the things he's learnt along the way. As people are aware, this podcast series is all about leadership and within leadership becomes the important notion of people functioning as best as they can. And and in arriving at the decision to ask Doug to, to do this with me, I thought it would be interesting for us to have a discussion around the things that Doug has experienced in his life that has resulted in him being where he is now. So that's a big statement. Thank you for today, mate, for coming along and doing this with me. Pleasure, Andrew. Yeah, I was pretty pretty happy with the invite. Well, let's jump straight into it. And as as we agreed, this is going to go wherever it's going to go. But certainly in reflecting and looking back at your own life journey, what things have happened to you or for you or that you've been involved in that have been really special moments for you or moments of learning? Moments of learning, wow. My first job, I was barely 15 out of school, apprentice locksmith. My boss, he was real good at throwing me to the wolves, just like literally there two weeks and I was in charge of the shop for a few hours. And I had to make quick decisions and, you know, if I didn't make good decisions when he came back, he would give me some quick coaching. And, uh, yeah, I just, I guess I've just always, at a young age, been thrown to the wolves, joined the fire service at 19. and It's young, isn't it? Because I was 20 when I commenced my fire yeah. service career. And, and certainly you, you look back at that earlier version of yourself and you think, yeah. how the hell did I end up there? Or how, how the hell was life good enough? good enough for me or good enough to me to be given that opportunity yeah that, you're right i know it was why why was i able thrown into all that into my first serious fire at 19 on my own with because you know half the amount of staff back then and half the amount of trucks and yes yeah, the big learning curve in life at a young age and you've just reminded me doug that one of the things that we got to do together was when the fires 
ran through Sussex oh, yeah. and down in New South Wales and we were on the task force that went yeah. down there and Doug and I got to experience yeah, very very close to the to the action yeah. of a small township firestorms. Yeah, coming yeah. under what was a firestorm and and all. But we're not going to talk about that today. But certainly, it's been a shared experience that I'm going to remember mm. uh, forever. So so Doug, just um, keep talking to me about the things or the people who have been important to you in your life in terms of you know showing you the way forward or teaching you things. What things come out for you? Yeah. Well. I, I got to think about my dad. He, my dad's never had like he for forever. He drove a dump truck at a quarry, so you know not a big leadership role, but he was a super hard worker. He led by example. By five five thirty a.m. every day, he was gone to work, you know, and he'd come home at dark. Whenever he came home, he worked really hard. But I look at decisions he made in his life that looked like he wasn't progressing but I look back now and in wonder and I think because when I joined the fire service I had a lot of officers when I was a fiery who I learned a lot from I learned to not do what they did yeah they got they'd been promoted back in the 70s and the early 80s into positions simply because they'd been there long enough to move into that new role and didn't have wonderful leadership qualities. My dad and but me, they might have been technically good because that's yeah, my yes. experience. Is that um, you know back in that area we had people who were very good fire officers. Yes. However, if I'm um, to, to maybe expand on your point, maybe they weren't rounded out mm. in terms of the broader set of skills yes. that we want leaders to have. That's right. Whereas my dad, mid seventies, he the job he was working at, he'd been offered to become the foreman at this rock crushing quarry he did it for a year and my mum told me he used to be abusing the guys in his sleep and the stress got to so hard to him he actually went to management and said i can't be the foreman anymore and he went back to being a truck driver now i think i just couldn't imagine in the fire service someone becoming a station officer for a year not coping with it very well at all and going to management saying put me back as a fiery Whereas my dad had the guts to do that and stepped back down to his level of competence in his mind. Now, so to me, you would see that as non-leadership role, like, you know, he's going backwards. But to me, it was a gutsy move. And he, you know, I guess he settled for what he felt he could handle. He wasn't willing to take the stress of dreaming about work and, and being stressed by it all the time. Um, and so... I mean, at the time, I was still, a, you know, probably 12 and I just, I didn't, but it did have a formative thing for me that my dad always had the guts to do things that other people wouldn't. Other people would muddle along and, you know, not be performing that well in the role they were in. Do you think that having seen that, having lived that, that some of those attributes have became part of you yeah i know and i guess i've always had a positive optimistic outlook on life and my dad always said better days ahead son or he'd be sitting there you know like and drinking beer or rum or whatever just when you go around and visit and he'd always say better, better days, days ahead. ahead yeah um and you know i've always been pretty optimistic about life and what's going on and have a go at this or doing that and 
Um, yeah, and dad was a few words and I remember at my wedding he got up and I was surprised he even turned up, but he actually got up and made a speech and he just said, astounded me, he said, you know, whatever Doug sets his mind to, he'll do. And I'm like, wow, I'd never thought about that about myself before. So I'm like, wow, like, and he was a man of few words, but uh, yeah, the so few he did use were yeah. rubbed off a lot. Certainly that generation, uh, and I've lived this to a degree myself, where yeah, there, there was certainly a bit of, um, you're doing okay if you don't hear anything. Mm. Uh, and you know, that notion of people giving you know, positive comments or positive reinforcement, it's not something that was natural back in that era. No. Yeah, and so it's, it's quite interesting. And I think one of, the, one of the generational changes that have occurred is that uh, you know, more, more, uh, more people having more ability to actually tell people that they're doing okay when it's right and even my own children it's, it's something that I've tried to develop over time that it's okay to actually say hey you've done well with that because yeah. it's quite powerful I know there's a view that on some occasions younger generation need a lot more positive reinforcement yes. um, than maybe they should need and we could probably discuss that in a separate podcast mm -hmm. but certainly it's, I, I just want to make that reflection that things have changed over the years so for you that moment where your when your dad said that would have been very powerful for oh, yeah. you because it was very few and far, very infrequent yeah, to hear they're, anything like they're, that. They're, they're wonderful moments. And moving on, I'm really interested in uh, you reflecting on that middle period of your life where you and the family, because you were you know, you're supported by Sally, your wife, mm -hmm. and, and you had young kids, chose to go to a, a developing nation. Mm -hmm and commence building something from the ground up. I know it's probably something you could speak about in depth, but what was the motivation for that big shift? I guess I was looking, and when you look, you find things. And I, I remember, because I was looking and I stumbled, and look, I had run a hundred ideas past my wife, and she would laugh them off, and so I never pursued them, and then just one day, this whole, a lot of synchronicity came together and brought a lot of things together. And I just ran this idea past her and she said, yeah, you know. And then it just, it started to burn inside and it was happening. And I can remember a year later when I announced, you know, I gave my notice at the fire service, you know, that I was leaving in a month. And one of the other guys who was more senior to me, and I had three kids at that time, what do you he, say? What the hell are you doing? What, yeah. what are, you, are you crazy? Well, he had five. And he yeah. said to me, you know, Doug, it's just, he said, I admire you. But he said, for me personally, too scary, like da, 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 to leave. And I, and I got it, you know. And uh, I said to him, Bill, there's something more scary than that for me. And it's two words. It's me getting to 60, because at that time I was in my late 20s. I said, me getting to 60 and saying, if only scares the heck out of me that if only I had tried and if I'd failed well I would have learned something but I was so afraid of saying those two words 30 years down the track if only I tried and so it was less scary for me to uproot and leave a good government job in the fire and Andrew you know how many people leave the fire service not many not many no. my my group there was eight of us one of them after five years went out on medical leave he'd had a car accident and me the other six are still there 
Yeah, and, well, I, and I remember at the time it was a shock for, yeah. for all of us who yeah. were around you and yeah. maybe j demonstrated a bit of groupthink that was happening mm. uh, with respect to people judging whether you're doing the right, right or wrong oh, thing. Yeah. But, but, but then you go, well, you know, 16 years later, because mm. you were over there that long, and, mm. and I know that there would have been ups and downs. Yep. Uh, can you just talk to me a bit about that experience for you, going to a developing nation with its own culture, oh. with its own variety of people, good and bad, mm. but certainly I imagine that you've probably got relationships with people even to this day, even though you've been mm. gone for a while now, that you would hold close to your heart. Yeah, just absolutely amazing experience. Like to, to bring up your children in this third world country where they're now the minority at school, like so a whole different thing for them. They've all got the travel bug, you know, from taking them overseas at a young age. And yeah, the people we would meet, you know, having the hotel, so it's short, people coming in for a couple of nights or a week or two, and particularly the tourists, you know, they would be interested in everything. So for the first time in my life, I got to socialise with doctors and lawyers and all sorts of people, but they're in their board shorts and thongs. Yeah. yeah. Um, that was an education in three quarters because, like, I'd only gone to grade 10. You know, I was not an educated person and now... You know, we'd be sitting out on the dive boat all day and I've got doctors and lawyers sort of interested in my life asking me how I did what I did. And I'm like, wow. So it was a real education being there, especially the kids meeting people from all over the world. And it was a very exciting time. Yeah. How did you how did you go with, you know, coming out of an environment where, you know, you're one cog in a larger machine mm. to going into a business and I'll call it a business yep. where you and Sally were the you know the CEO between the two of you yep. and all responsibility yeah. rested with you so and I appreciate you talking about the, the doctors and the lawyers and the mm. dive boat and, and all that but at the same time I know you would have been thinking about yeah. that maintenance issue that you that you yeah. got back there, that staffing issue, rostering, all these things that uh, you know need to be in place for a business to function. Given that you'd come out of a, you would have you would have certainly uh, taken some of your early leadership uh, development from your time in the fire service, yeah. uh, but then translating that into a very different environment. How how did you find that? Was that a challenge for you, oh. and that you had to that you realised that you needed to do to do things different from a leadership perspective or leading the business or being coming a leader because you would have been you would have been a leader in that community. Oh, it was crazy Andrew. We had 16 staff. We worked, you know, like our our residence was behind reception and was in, so in the same building as the restaurant and that was open 3 meals a day 7 days a week. It was the only air conditioned restaurant on the island so yeah. it was busy and sought after, you know, like being 600 kilometers north of the equator. And the responsibility of having 16 staff is one thing for me, you know, if the business failed and for it to go broke, but we had 16 local staff. Now, all of them would be the only person in their family that had a job. So they had a lot on their shoulders. They were always on to me for more hours. So we would, some of them were full-time and then some of them would be part-time because hotel industry is up and down, you know, yeah. you have some, yeah. a busy month and then a yeah. quiet month. A lot of responsibility because financially your family is now extended. You've now got 20 people, but it's not 20 people that you're feeding. You're feeding 80 people or 100 people from the business because, you know, and in the beginning we didn't realize all this, but 
as we got to know them all, it was the culturally, they would be the only like breadwinning person in their family and extended family. They're living with their brothers and sisters and parents and grandparents and all of the children. And they all had, you know, four or five kids, didn't have like one or two children. There was, it was a big responsibility to keep everything happening and rolling and making, you know, balancing cash flow and thinking about everything, maintenance, marketing, you know, HR, you know, grumbles, keeping the customers happy. It's with a very rounded spec, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. The, um, for, for me and for, for disclosure for the listeners, uh, I've been to Cosgrove, um, uh, probably gee, three or four times now. I can't remember what it was, but certainly, uh, and, and we stayed with Doug and Sally, did a lot of diving. And as people know, I'm an avid scuba diver mm-hmm. and, and I should say, you know, Doug is a dive master himself. Certainly some of the memories I have would be when you first got uh, Wi-Fi uh, mm-hmm. into place there and all of a sudden your resort became the, the centre point for all the local politicians mm-hmm. who would come and have their morning coffee yep. and do their political business. Mm-hmm. Now that would have been a real eye-opener to oh, watch that play it out. it was because <laughs> in that group there would be politicians, you know, the, the guy the guy who ran telecom and the, the power station, and there'd be a couple of what I used to call unemployed bums amongst them because they were their cousins or something as well. Yeah. And man, oh, we used to say if we could put a microphone out on their table and put it on the radio station, like what, you know, there was some serious major political discussions going on there every day with the bottomless coffee for three hours. And um, the same little group would come in every day and yeah, it was a very political little uh, environment, yeah. So is it fair to say that the the Doug, and by extension Sally, the Doug and Sally that arrived there, the Doug and Sally who left 16 years later, were different people? Oh, very, 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 yeah. We Descri- um, Describe for me, ex- give, give me some thoughts or examples of how you were different at the end of that journey. I guess we were a lot more compassionate. Yep. We had a broader understanding of different cultures and we realized that we were all the same because when i started you know rubbing shoulders out on the dive boat for a week at a time with doctors and lawyers and they started telling you about their lives and you know because we got an hour on the surface between each dive and you start talking and the stories you'd hear and you just realize these people are just as silly as i am like they're no better than me they just you know, whatever, they're from all around the world and they have the same problems, the same everything, and we're all the same. Um, We're just born in different cities and, yeah, we're really very similar. Any, uh, Enric, just before we finish off discussing Cosrae, any particular characters or people of note that you look back and you think, well, I learnt something from that person or it could be a positive or a negative, anything that comes to mind? Look, one that does, I remember one Saturday morning, a guy standing in the lobby of the hotel there in a pair of tatty shorts, a t-shirt with holes in it, and a machete in his hand. And I looked at his face and I thought, you look really familiar, but, and then I thought, he looks like one of the, you know, heads of one of the government departments. And I wandered over and I said, oh, morning. Because he had a mach- Because Saturday morning is farming over there, and they all take their machetes and go and cut all the grass around the banana trees and things. 
and he was just waiting for someone. They got talking to him, and the, real, the reason he looked so familiar, his twin brother was head of one of the government departments. And I, so I said, oh, I haven't seen you around before. And he goes, oh, no, I've just arrived back on the island. I said, oh, where have you been? He said, oh, I've been living in New York for the last five years. And I'm like, oh. But he had his work clothes on, so you know, yeah, to go yeah. farming. I said, well, what were you doing in New York? And he said, oh, I was the um, Micronesian ambassador to the UN. I'm like, oh, okay. Had you worked out yet that this is the twin you're talking to or not quite? Well, yeah, I knew it was the twin. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. 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 And, um, and then I said, oh, it's an interesting job. We got to. He said, oh, yes. I said, did you meet any interesting people? I said, yeah, just like a month ago, I was at a meeting and he said, Nelson Mandela and Bill Clinton were the key speakers. And I'm like, and here's this guy, he looks like an absolute hobo standing in the lobby of my hotel. And, and with his machete. With his machete. But a month ago, he's sitting there listening to Bill Clinton yeah. and Nelson Mandela live and, and living in New York. And it's just those sort of things make you realize that you just can't judge a book by its cover yeah. or it's yeah. there's so many experiences more, like that. Yeah, more, more to things than we than we always always. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Don't be so too quick to judge or think or speak. Now, your time in Kosherai finished, mm-hmm. and uh, we could talk separately about how you left that situation mm-hmm. and an incredibly rich story to be told about you actually running what would be essentially a raffle mm-hmm. to sell the resort to yeah. help you transition back to, to Australia. And I appreciate that at that point in time, you had uh, young grandkids and mm-hmm. all those things that can you know, gather our attention to what's important. Certainly, I got to be part of watching that process play out, mm. which was wonderful, terrifying. You know, lear- you're, you're learning about things as you're going along. How do I do this? To go to a worldwide, what mm. essentially was a worldwide uh, raffle, mm-hmm. and have it work so well mm. must have been, in the end, very satisfying. But can you just give me a, a couple of sentences about what it was like going through that? Well, it was in, in the beginning, our son came up with the idea. We agreed on the conditions that we were anonymous in the whole thing. Yeah. Within weeks, that fell apart badly, and we became the front people, obviously. And it was amazing tv interviews radio interviews the success of it selling tickets in 150 different countries in three months it was just mind-bogglingly successful um it was more than we ever thought it would have been and yeah another huge learning curve and just exciting exhilarating frightening everything in between all and, the emotions. And for me, probably another example of you know, your character and mm-hmm. Sally's character, that you're willing to try something oh, yeah. very different. Yeah. And I would say, I'm, I, and I'm always saying to people, don't, don't limit yourself. Mm. Uh, if there's a, a partial opportunity, then sometimes it's in your best interest to go. And I think that, 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 that as an example uh, is beautiful mm. because it really um, it gave you that pathway back, back to Australia. Yeah. Now let's talk about that next phase, which was, and let's talk about the first thing, you became marriage celebrant. What was the motivator for that? Motivator for that? Well, we bought two and a half acres here in Crumbin Valley on the creek. And it's like, it's a it's nice quite, block of land yeah, and is. the surrounding mountains, yeah, beautiful. It's, it's beautiful. Yeah. And so probably our fifth son, like one of, one of our son's best mates um, was getting married and came and asked us, could he have the ceremony on the property? And we've sort of said, yeah, yeah, sure, that'd be great. We would love that because, you know, we've known him since he was 12. And next thing Sally says, you should become a marriage celebrant, marry them. And I'm like, 
oh, it's easy for you to say. <laughs> and, uh, you know, and, yeah. and, and the bride and groom-to-be sort of thought, oh, that would be nice. So then I spent the next six months doing my certificate for in becoming a marriage celebrant. And it was actually considerably harder than I thought it would be. I thought, yeah, oh, this will just be pretty easy. But yeah, yeah I nearly towed it a couple of times. It was, <laughs> yeah, it was a lot of legislation to get under your belt, I can tell you. And do you look forward to doing more of that? Yeah. I've, I've, and literally, I've only married two, pe- two groups yep. of people, but I've been absolutely enthralled at each wedding i have loved it it's yeah. just it's exhilarating it yeah it was some people a couple that were at that first wedding on our property got married up at o'reilly's last june and yeah we did that and it was just i would like to do it more but i've <clears throat> not actually done anything about marketing well, it but yeah and i get it that you're actually doing other stuff and the final thing i'm going to touch on here is your choice to become an active life coach Mm -hmm. and given what I know about your life and your history Mm -hmm. and your journey I think you're a perfect candidate to move into that space and I know that uh, you've got your own podcast and and you release new content quite regularly what's the title of it so people can search it Doug? Um, Conversations with Doug yeah Yeah, and it's on all the platforms every Monday morning here in Australia a new one comes out I've got 10 out so far. With some very diverse yes. subjects. Yeah. Which yeah. is... Yeah, uh, some stuff that some if some some of the good old diehard fireys listen to, they'd be going, what's this stuff? Like, you know, <laughs> yeah, I've literally... I've been reinventing myself lately. Yeah, yeah. yeah. look, that, and that's that's bloody great because I have listened to a small selection mm-hmm. and because I've got a pretty good relationship with you, I do enjoy them because I, I probably know a bit more about the background behind mm-hmm. the, you know, the, the beliefs that you now have and the, the principles that you've really embraced in terms of your life. I think, I, I think you're going to do really well mate, mm-hmm. as you continue down this road. It's like anything in life. The more we practice it, mm-hmm. the better we get at it. Let's move into the final section, which is which is five questions, which I ask every every guest, and they're not long answers. They don't need to be a long answer. Just what comes into your mind. Mm-hmm. The first of those five questions is, what do you wish you really understood? I wish I understood. Well, I've spent the last five years being fascinated with unseen energy, and I've been delving into that in many different angles. And I wish I understood that a lot more the simplistic unseen energy between two magnets and all the amazing things that can happen there right up to the emotional things that happen with energy between people pretty broad isn't it it's very broad and and, and there's science involved oh it's all science Uh, yeah it's people think (sighs) it's a woo woo but the more i look into it it's just a hundred percent science yeah i love it beautiful uh question two what do you wish that other people understood about you? Wow. What do I wish other people? I know a lot of people don't understand me. I guess I wish uh, the thing that I guess makes me do what I do that people don't understand me is at a very young age, my mother told me because I was sort of like the mistake. I came along a lot later than my four siblings. And uh, mum just told me that when she was pregnant with me, that God told her I was came for a reason and she'd always told me that and so my whole life I knew I was here for a reason and so I just decided not to live a boring life I'm just like go and do things because I'm here to do something and I'm still working out what that is but so I guess well, I just... maybe not working out what it is but 
for me, it's more that you're you're trying to work out what the next thing is. Yeah. Because I want to pay respect to the, you know the journey that you've had already and the the effect positive effect that you've had on many people around you. Question three, in respect to your own leadership development, and and we were talking earlier before we started this recording about that. You know, you acknowledge yourself that in terms of formal leadership or management roles, you you don't necessarily have a lot. But what you do have is a lot of life experience. Oh, yeah. So in, in respect to your own leadership development and knowing what you know, what advice would you give to the younger version of yourself? So this is one of those opportunities where we get to think yeah. about what advice would, have, would I have given myself if I'd known? Just, I guess, take more chances more often. Just have a go and I guess really sit there and look at my younger self and say, you are good enough, you know, yeah. because... I've been plagued my whole life with fear. I'm very courageous, but fear has held me back on a lot of things. And I guess if I just knew that I was good enough, I'd have tried even more things. You know, so. Thank you. That's a very, very personal and honest mm. answer. Question four, if you had a magic wand, what's an ability you would give people, we could say people or leaders right now? Whoa, a magic wand, power to give to leaders. I think I would allow them to see the invisible energetic connection between the people, between the people they're, they're interacting with because there's invisible energy going on between all of us all the time. And if, they, if I could give a magic wand to let them see what was actually happening, I think they'd be they'd interact differently well i've because i've asked this question of a few people and a couple of the answers i've had previously has been and you use the word energy others have used the term emotional intelligence Mm -hmm. or uh, being able to be more people-centric in their outlook is that the same in some way absolutely but just they're magically they're always now see this This energetic connection connection, this emotional like you know quote and the you know the the, the the thousand different names it can have yeah it can really concerns me it, uh, what's invisible it, it can really concerns me when i see people who are blind to that mm. and uh, we could spend a lot of time discussing w- why that is but certainly i agree that for people to understand and be uh, aware of what's happening around them in terms mm. of their relationships with people yeah. or that maybe the you know the, the price they're paying the debt they're paying the, the moments that they're missing mm. because their attention's on something else. Yeah. I think that all goes into the point you've made. Absolutely. Yeah. And finally, the, the fifth and final question is, what's a legacy you wish to be remembered for? And I'm going to say as a human being, because of your life, what's something that you want to be remembered for? He had the guts to try. He had the guts to try. I talk to people about all the time, about, and, and we end up talking, I don't know how we get there, but you know, what words are going to be on your tombstone? And there's been times in my life where it's been simply, I tried. Mm. And I think that's the point that you're making. Yep. Well, there it is. We got through, even though I've been party to your life outside it, mm-hmm. but I've been given the privilege, and I'm very grateful, of being able to have seen inside it on occasions. I've got the highest amount of respect for you as a person. And certainly I've been someone who's learnt from you uh, on how you should go about your life. How you should treat people, 
and uh, what it is actually we're trying to achieve in our life. And even that last comment that I just made, certainly I see a lot of people who don't get that right until it's too late, mm-hmm. where they realize at the very end of their life journey that they've been missing some really important uh, opportunities. Mm-hmm. So I do wish you well in your this phase that you've started, particularly for life coaching. And I do encourage anyone who's listening to jump on to Doug's podcast, Conversations with Doug. And certainly I believe that people will be able to take away a little with that. So again, mate, thank you very much. And I'm glad that we were able to do this. Thanks, Andrew. Pleasure. I've, I've enjoyed the chat.